Welcome to Live Happy Now, the podcast to inspire you to live a happier life and give you the tools to make it happen. This is Live Happy Science Editor Paula Phelps, and I'd like to thank you for joining us for a brand new season of Live Happy Now. This week's episode is brought to you by Momentus Institute, powered by the Salesmanship Club of Dallas and dedicated to building and repairing social-emotional health for kids since 1920. Today on episode number 169, we're talking to Kristen Neff, who's going to tell us why we all need more self-compassion in our lives. Kristen is one of the world's leading researchers on self-compassion and co-author of The Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook, a proven way to accept yourself, build inner strength, and thrive. In today's episode, Kristen shows us how self-compassion can improve our relationships and our overall well-being. So let's hear what she has to say. Well, Kristen, welcome to Live Happy Now. We're really excited to have you with us today because I think self-compassion is such an important topic today. Oh, great. I'm ha- very happy to be here. Well, you know, your work in this area has been really groundbreaking, and I wanted to know what had made you interested in studying this topic to begin with. Well, you know, for me, it really started as a personal journey. I had uh, learned meditation, and the woman who taught my meditation class talked a lot about the importance of self-compassion. And so I started, you know, changing the way related to myself, being a bit kinder, more supportive. And it was amazing. I saw the results almost instantly. I saw the huge impact that that little shift can have toward I'm helping you cope. I was going through some difficulties and and it just really helped me cope. And I'd also, um, I just finished up my PhD at Berkeley and I was doing two years of postdoctoral study in self-concept development. So I was kind of in the general area. And then I was also doing a lot of work with self-esteem and getting familiar with the literature on self-esteem, which is the long and short of the self-esteem literature is it's good to have it but it can be a real problem how you get it. Right? Narcissists, <laughs> people think they're better than others, or you know they're kind of unstable, like they feel good one day, but the second they fa- fail or, or are imperfect, they lose their self-esteem. So as well, I was working in, in that, I th- that I thought, wow, self-compassion, you know, it has everything self-esteem has to offer in terms of being linked to well-being and helping with coping. But it's not so contingent. It doesn't desert you when you fail. Um, You don't have to be better than anyone else to have self-compassion. You just have to be a flawed human being like everyone else. (laughs) And so I just, just, you know, I thought this is really a better way to look at healthy self-concept. And then when I finally got a a real job at um, UT Austin, I decided I wanted to research it. And kind of, you might say the rest is history, so to speak. Well, and it is history because it has become so pivotal in other people's research and other applications. Like when you started this, did you have any idea that it even had the potential to become? No, I, I really didn't. I must say, I'm, I'm quite shocked. I mean, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. But yeah, I just thought, you know, I, I could make some contribution that this, I, mean, I have to say mindfulness was already researched by then. It was still beginning, but really without the, all the great research on mindfulness, I think no one would have even taken self-compassion seriously. But because self-compassion kind of builds on mindfulness, and we can go into that later if you want, but because that path had already been, the ground for that path had already been broken, I was just kind of able to, you know, follow suit and add, expand the concept of mindfulness to include warmth and kindness and connectedness and 
And so I, you know, I, I can't take credit for everything by any means, but yeah, I, I feel good. I was able to make a contribution and now it's just all over the place. It's amazing. And self-compassion is so good for us. It, your books yeah. explain it so beautifully and, and show all the benefits of it. But if it's so good for us, why is it so why difficult? Do it? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I, there's a lot of reasons. Well, one, very interestingly, is there's a lot of myths about self-compassion. Our culture doesn't really support it. Actually, our culture is pretty suspicious of it. And it's not just the U.S. I mean, it varies culture to culture, but most people are suspicious of it because they confuse it with self-pity. Or here's a big one, especially for the United States. We think somehow that we'll be complacent, that we'll lose our motivation, we'll lose our edge, or we'll be weak if we're self-compassionate. You know, again, all the research shows is actually exactly the opposite. Self-compassion motivates us. We want to do our best if we care about ourselves. Um, It's actually a source of strength. Of course, being supportive to ourselves is going to help us get through difficult times and cutting ourselves down. The research really clearly shows that. But for some reason, the culture hasn't caught up. You know, and if you think about it, it's maybe not so surprising because, you know, 50 years ago, our parenting philosophy was spare the rod, spoil the child. <laughs> think about it. We really used to think, quite honestly, that if we were kind and supportive and compassionate to our kids, they'd be spoiled brats. Use the cane to keep them in place. And it's like we've moved forward with our parenting philosophy. Hopefully most of us have. But, you know, we haven't moved forward with our philosophy for how we relate to ourselves, right? How You might say how we parent ourselves, how we treat ourselves when we're struggling or need some support. So um, I think they're just kind of outdated notions, myths about what self-compassion will do to you. And that's why I think the research is so important. Once, once people see, oh, okay, the research, it really does show it's going to help your motivation, not undermine it. You won't be a lazy slob. You'll actually eat better and exercise more, that you'll take care of yourself. Oh, okay, then you kind of relax a little bit, and then you're willing to give it a try. One of the reasons is we, we have these mental blocks to self-compassion, really fears of self-compassion put there by our culture. When we're told it's like toughen up, you know, yes. suck it up, buttercup, and and right. just trudge through it. But you talk about practicing self-compassion not only makes us feel better inside, it's going to make us uh, better in our relationships. It's going to make us more motivated. Can you explain to us how that works? Yeah. Well, so so let's just look at coping. I mean, one of the big things about self-compassion, the reason people are so excited is it helps people cope, cope with divorce, cope with cancer, cope with past trauma. It's a real source of strength and resilience. You know, and why? If you think about it, if you when you go into battle, you know, do you want an inner enemy in your ear telling you how crap you are, that you'll never do it, that you're no good? <laughs> That's or probably you not your best voice, plan. <laughs> you know, or do you want that voice to be an ally? Like, have your allies at your back. Okay, I got your back. It's okay. You can do this. I'll help you in any way you can. Um, and in fact, for instance, we found in, with veterans coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan, those vets who are more self-compassionate, they were much less likely to develop PTSD than their comrades who are really hard on themselves, right? And in fact, the level of self-compassion was more predictive of whether or not they developed PTSD than how much action they saw overseas. You know, oh, interesting. So think about it. It's like, it's not just what you face in life. It's like, who do you have at your back? You know, do you have your home back or not when things get tough? And if the answer is yes, you're going to be stronger than if you don't have your own back, than if you're constantly cutting yourself down, feeling shame, feeling inadequate, that really helps no one. 
Right. And so, yeah, so that's one thing. And then, you know, again, some people think self-compassion is selfish, that I should just be focused on other people. But in fact, what we find is that uh, people who are more self-compassionate, they make much better relationship partners. They're, they're more giving, they're more forgiving, they're more supportive. Why? Well, you know, think about it. If you expect your partner to meet all your needs and, you know, and, and if they don't meet your needs exactly as you want, then you can get really angry about it. That's not very good. But the more you have for yourself, the more you can meet your own needs, actually, the more you have to give to your kids or your partners or your friends. So it actually leads to less self-focused behavior. I mean, think about it. Shame and self-pity. Are there any more self-focused states you can be in? Oh, than my gosh. Yeah. You know, and then and it doesn't get you anywhere. You're just going around in a circle. And- exactly. Right. So self-compassion allows us to break free of our self-absorption with how inadequate we are and actually just move on and start living our life. What goes on in our heads that we can shift the conversation? Right. So really, the first step, like t- in terms of temporal sequence of self-compassion is always mindfulness. You have to have awareness of what's happening. First of all, you have to be aware that you are criticizing yourself. And for some people, this is so habitual, they don't even notice, right? And you get people to start looking at, how do you talk to yourself when you're feeling, you know, scared or inadequate? And they go, wow, they get kind of shocked, right? So the verse is being aware. Um, And again, but aware in a kind of balanced way, an objective way, um, and really noticing the pain that's there, like really, really tapping into, wow, that's, that hurts. That's not very, you know, it doesn't help me. It doesn't make me feel good. So the first step is mindfulness. And then it's, it's responding with kindness, right? So it's catching yourself and saying, hey, wait a second. Yeah, you know, I've gained 10 pounds. Yeah, it doesn't make me feel good. But, you know, hey, this is only human. And, you know, it, it, there's lots of reasons. A lot of people gain weight. Maybe I've been using food to kind of deal with my issues. The thing is, kindness doesn't stop there, right? So kindness says, yeah, you know, yeah, it's kind of, it feels bad. You don't feel good in your body. You know, maybe you would really feel better. Maybe you would help yourself by trying to exercise more and eat better. But not, you know, it's not like because you're inadequate as you are, that I'm going to hate you if you don't do it. It's more like, you know, hey, I care about you. Maybe, you know, can we make some changes? You know, can I support myself to make some changes so I'll feel better in my body? And that's why, in fact, they find like self-compassion is really good for people who have eating disorders because it kind of uses this force of love and care to make changes as opposed to fear, like if I don't do it, I'm going to hate myself. Right. So that's the, but, and then the last step really is it's so important to remember that it's not just you, right? This thing of being human, you know, at the definition of being human is being imperfect. We don't want to believe it. It's so funny. It's like we really think that maybe if I get it all right and get all the right degrees and marry the right person and do all this, that maybe somehow I can live a perfect life. I'll be the first one. (laughs) You know, that's not the plan we signed up for. So, uh, you know, there's a great there's a great meditation teacher named Rod Nair who just says, you know, the goal of practice is simply to be a compassionate mess. You know, it's like that's what we're aiming for. Yeah, we aren't aiming for perfection. It's, It's impossible. The goal is just to, yeah, we're going to be a mess. No matter how much meditation we do, no matter how much we work out, no matter how successful we are, we are still going to be a mess because we are human beings. But we can be a compassionate mess. 
You know, we can hold that messiness and that pain, that imperfection with the sense of kindness and support and connectedness. And that's actually what allows us um, to be happy. You know, even in the midst of the mess, you know, it's like there's there's these feelings of kindness, love, connectedness, presence. These are really positive emotions. And we can learn to kind of rest our awareness and the compassion that holds the pain. It's really quite interesting. You can do this with practice. It is important to note that it is a practice. It's not as if I can say, I'm going to be self-compassionate, and tomorrow I'm going to wake up and like, whoa, you know, angels sing, skies far, and I'm really good at this. Yeah, it it is a practice. And by the way, for some people, it's a little, I got to be honest here, for some people, it's a little harder journey than others. So for instance, if your parents were really critical or maybe even, you know, worse, right? Maybe they're abusive in some way. It can, it can be a more difficult path because, you know, um, the models you had of what a loving, compassionate response to pain should have been, maybe weren't there. And so it can, it can be a slower path, but the great news is it looks like anyone can do it. You know, you may have to go slowly, maybe a bumpy road. You may have to dip your foot in the toe of, you know, the water of self-compassion and say, whoa, that's too much. And I need to close <laughs> it's down. It's too cold. <laughs> it's too cold, right. You know, and, and, that, and that is true. I'm not going to lie. It's not, it's not easy for everyone. But the thing is, it's actually easier than you think in the sense that, you know, a lot of people, maybe even with people with severe trauma histories, They've somehow managed to learn how to be compassionate, maybe to a child or a pet or a friend. So they actually have developed the skills at some part of their life. So all all that really self-compassion requires is giving yourself permission. It's it's not easy, but, you know, what it requires is giving yourself permission and practicing using the same skill of kindness, support, you know, compassion, yourself. Well, and that's where your workbook comes in, which is yeah, the, the exactly. reason we're talking today. <laughs> and I, I love this because, you know, you've given over the years, you've given people so many great ways to access this information. You know, you've written books, you've got audio books, you even teach an online course. So can you tell us what the, the yeah, mindful I mean, self-compassion workbook so excited, is? Right. So self-compassion, I know from my research, it, it works. I, I look at people who have it more and they, they're better in all sorts of ways. But I've really been interested in how do we teach the skill? I mean, this isn't, like I say, this isn't rocket science. There are practices we can do, exercises we can do. Some of them involve meditation, but they don't have to. We find that people who don't like to meditate, they can do just as well with kind of other ways of practicing the skill. Um, so the Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook, I think, I forget how many practices we had, like 27 or some, some, some huge number of concrete things you can practice every day to start building these, this, you know, these new neural pathways, this new habit of being kind to yourself. And so basically it kind of, it follows our um, eight week mindful self-compassion program, which is now taught all over the world. But we decided, you know, not everyone has access to a teacher or not everyone has the time to take an eight week course. So this is something you can do yourself at your own pace, you know, and, and all, all the practices are there. We're going to tell our listeners how they can uh, learn more about it. And I think we give them a download to one of the exercises as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Okay, so so as they're, as they're leaving us today and as you're leaving us, what's the one thing that they can start today to become better at self-compassion? 
Right. Okay. So, so the kind of easiest, most direct way is just to simply ask yourself the question when you, when you, when you notice you're speaking to yourself unkindly, would I say this to a friend, a friend I cared about? And if the answer is no, which it probably is, what would I say to a friend I cared about in the exact same situation? And then just try it out with yourself. It may feel weird. It may feel fake. All that's okay. But just see what would it be like? If we're able to not only say, but we see from myself the same kindness I show to those I care about. And then just kind of see what happens. That was Kristen Neff. And in just a couple of minutes, we're going to tell you how you can learn more about her Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook. But first, we have an awesome guest in the studio, Live Happy CEO, Deborah Heise. Deb, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Paula. It's great to be here. I haven't done one of these in a while. I'm looking forward to it. I know. Well, we couldn't start season four without having you stop in and talk to us. So I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to to swing by the studio. Well, you know, it's always a great fun to listen to the podcast and to be part of it is even more fun. And, you know, this is still one of my favorite things that we do here at Live Happy. So for all you listeners out there, it's a real treat for me as well to be on this week's podcast. Well, and speaking of treats, uh, you have something new. It's a new column that you've introduced online. So I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, it's a new column called Find the Good. You know, and it's based on the idea that, you know, many of us go through life focusing on what's bad in life, meaning, you know, the traffic on the way to the office or the thing we just can't get done or that annoying noise in the background. You know, whatever it is, we're focused on things that, you know, are irritants or antagonists. But the reality is there's so much in the world that is good and we're just not looking for it. So, you know, this column is based off of finding the good in the world. So we do some summaries of some uh, news items out there and point you at some good content that you can look at to fill your mind up with good stuff, but also, you know, start looking for the good. And really that's what the column's about. Well, and what's so interesting, we talk about this at Live Happy, is looking for the good isn't, it's not like putting on rose-colored glasses or putting on blinders. It's you're really changing the state of your brain when you start looking for the good. Yeah, there's a lot of neuroscience that shows that when you look for the look for the good, you actually rewire your brain. And one of the things I I usually advise people to do is to write down three good things that happen to them every day because there was this great study, and I wish I could remember off the top of my head who did it, but it's a study on when you start looking for the good every day, when you have to write it down, your brain will start looking for it, and suddenly everything in the world just seems a little bit better. Once you start looking for it, you realize it's all around us. Why was it so important for you to to start putting this out there? Well, you know, it's something we've talked about a lot, but we haven't done a lot of connecting it to what's going on in the world. We talk about finding the good, but, you know, this is kind of a leg up. So the why now really is there's a lot of positive stuff that you kind of miss in social media, on the news, in magazine articles. And we talk about it for a minute or two, but then we go back to obsessing about politics or whatever else it is that's driving us crazy. And so I really felt like it was time to introduce something that really points people at, look, this is good stuff you can see. This is the stuff you might have missed. And it's never too late to do this, but it's also never early enough. I kind of wish we'd done this at the beginning, but you now's as good a time as any to start. 
How do you go about finding the good? Really, it's 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 all around us. You know, everything from uh, you know watching in this first column. You know, watching the World Cup. I'm a huge sports fan. I think everybody who works here knows that. I think many of the listeners may also know that based off of previous <laughs> podcasts. I have to say, I I was not surprised to hear that come out of your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody actually is. But you know, watching the World Cup, it isn't just about you know, what's going on in the field. A lot of it's about the culture and the people around. You know, there's this this great thing where, you know, after the game, they were talking about it, the fans from Senegal and the fans from Japan stayed and helped clean up their section of the stadium. I mean, who does that? In the United States, go to a baseball game, it's like, yay, I can throw my peanuts and my, my hot dog wrappers <laughs> on the ground and somebody else is going to clean up after me. But really to think culturally they, they stayed to clean up after themselves, that's just a phenomenal thing to really notice. You know, just stuff like that. You read a, you read a news clipping about something, somebody doing something good. Yeah, we, we need that reminder right now because we, as you mentioned, we focus too much on a lot of negativity that's going on right now. So it's, I'm, I'm really glad that, that you're bringing this to us. And you're even giving our readers a way to get involved with that. Can you tell us how they can be a part of this column? Yes. If you notice a neighbor, a community group, something in your sphere of awareness that maybe we wouldn't be aware of, maybe it's because it's a local story, but if you notice something doing it or someone doing something inspiring, whether it's small or large, please email us. Email your story to me at editor at livehappy.com. So it's easy to remember, editor at livehappy.com with find the good in the subject line. Anything that you see or hear about that you think you may want to share or you think we should share, whether it's videos, stories online, whatever it is you're looking for, I want to see it. And we're going to share some of it in the column. But even more than that, you're going to be making the world a happier place because you're making everybody here at Live Happy more aware of all the positive that's going on out there. That's fantastic. So find the good. You can look for it online at livehappy.com. And Deborah, I thank you so much for coming by and also for doing the column. That's it for this episode of Live Happy Now. To learn more about Kristen Neff's Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook and receive a free download of her favorite self-compassion exercises, visit us at livehappynow.com. And if you like what you've heard here today and want to hear more, Go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Search for Live Happy Now and subscribe today so you'll never miss an episode. Special thanks once more to the Momentous Institute for bringing you this episode of Live Happy Now. Momentous Institute's 7th Annual Changing the Odds Conference will be held September 27th and 28th at Omni Dallas Hotel. Visit MomentousInstitute.org to register and find out more about the panel of education and mental health experts you can enjoy at that conference. And finally, we're going to give you a special gift just for listening today. If you go to the Live Happy store at livehappy.com, enter the promo code PODCASTAPPEAL and we will give you 20% of anything and everything in the store. That's all we have time for today, so please join us back here next week. And until then, remember to make every day a happy one. 